Welcome to Adventure Guys, the podcast for humans and dogs. I'm Eric the Human. And I'm Nick the Human. Welcome to episode and episode 91. If this is your first episode, I'd love to know. <laughs> what a great place to start. Probably. Sure. I mean, it can't be any worse than anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Jump in random. That's what I always say. Just, I mean, you would you, you would miss the highly detailed continuity of the previous ninety episodes. Mm-hmm. It will be fun to re-listen to this one day. We've talked about doing a listen along podcast where we listen to our podcast and do a podcast about the podcast. <laughs> Still, a pretty good idea. But at this point, we've lived enough life where things have happened, um, and more things will continue to happen. And this is like almost like a. A chronicle of sorts, uh, a journal, living journal, as well as a uh, Adventure Time dissection podcast. Yeah, we're. Uh... Hey, happy two year anniversary! Two years right now. Yeah, wow. August twenty twenty is when we started High this. Five. <laughs> we're two years in. Take that, uh, other podcasts. Yeah, w- welcome to our two year anniversary episode. Oh, nice. All right. Well, we'll. We'll add that to the title of the episode, I suppose. <laughs> Two-year anniversary special. Yeah. Even though it's just a normal app. <laughs> yeah. Cool stuff, man. Um, I'm trying to think about what to update the audience with that's not non-adventure time. Uh, like, I don't really have much. I feel like we should just talk about the episode. Yeah. Uh, why not? Yeah, we'll get into some other stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> Discussion. All right. Well, this episode, what is it again, Eric? It's uh, season eight, episode 10, The Musical. Yeah. All right. So if this is indeed your first episode, let me give you a little bit of info on the Adventure Guys podcast. While we are... <laughs> what? Is it really? What? <laughs> While we are an Adventure Time podcast, we also talk about music all the time it is the subtext of this podcast i have told people so this is a pretty good episode for a milestone i'd say for the adventure guys podcast the two-year anniversary let's do a music app yeah yeah this this was intentional we knew this was our two-year anniversary special and we picked the music hole because we're musicians and this is a music podcast basically (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and this this episode's this episode's got it all it's got guitars it's got two basses actually there's you know there's a viola there's a viola two basses drum set there's rapping there, we've got, there's choral stuff they're, they're covering a lot of ground musically in this episode yeah can i make a general statement about the music of adventure time all just this episode or the entire show the entire show but i think as put into pretty clear focus in this episode in particular okay. I don't think the music is as good as it could be. And that disappoints me Mm. in the show that I love that I've spent so much (laughs) of my time watching and dissecting and analyzing. I don't think it really gets a 10 out of 10 on music. There are moments that are really great. Uh, It is super inconsistent. And I feel like the opportunities that present themselves in an episode like this usually get wasted okay i'm hearing you on that what i will say is all right i think there's truth in that there's probably 
practicality and timing limitations where they just have to make the music super quickly, you know? Yeah. What I'm going to say is in this episode, I did think that honestly, like when Marceline is doing her song with death and LSPN drums, that's a time for a Marceline banger of bangers. Like, is this the only time we really see her with a full band on stage performing in the series? It actually might be. Right. So that's the time you really should be laying out a banger from, from RC uh, and the squad. And this is not, this is not a banger. Um, but in this episode, I do want to say, uh, we can talk bigger. This episode, I do think they purposely had the musicians not playing super great to juxtapose with the beauty of music coming from the musical. And like to put that, like Marcy is more concerned with her pick than she is with actually performing her song. She's like, I need my pick. Like, very weird. Very weird. And kind of out of character. That's odd. There's like the backpack rap of FP, Flame Princess, and Neptor. Um, there's the karaoke of Ice King. Like it's all kind of not great. And I feel like it's kind of by design because they're supposed, it's supposed to be amateurish. I will also say practically, none of these characters could have known this um, Battle of the Bands was coming because it was arranged presumably past midnight and then <laughs> like 10 a.m. it's beginning. So they had no real rehearsal time. So I do feel like in this one, it's a little baked into it that the music's not going to be as good. I mean, that might be a defense, but I, that's, that's how I was ra- putting myself around it. Cause I was sort of like, this isn't the big Marceline song moment. It's not any, it's not really that great. Yeah. Um, I, I don't feel like the music's necessarily any worse than it normally is though. So that's not really clear from like a storytelling perspective because every time Flame Princess raps, it's exactly that quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there are good Marceline songs. There are some really great Marceline songs and this the whole Marceline beat of this episode just feels off. The tone just feels off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, like she's behaving in a really weird way. This pick preoccupation and... Uh, I, I really think it's like if you get Marceline and it's going to be a big thing, like she's like, she got called up that morning and was like, come play the battle of the bands. And she's coming in like a hot shot. Like, yeah, okay. I, I got this. Like I'm a world, I'm like a world renowned musician, like death and LSP. Come on. And then I'm just going to like kick out the jams and it's going to be fine. And like, she's not really giving it her emotional all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like, that's almost the difference between what the face hole is doing. I also don't like that the backing band just seems very like there doesn't seem to be a lot of intention behind it. LSP on drums. Okay. Death on also bass. (laughs) And then this kind of annoys me. I mean, again, I know this is uh, tied into like production time and cost and everything, but when LSP is playing drums, it's not lining up with the drums in the track. And then death is playing a second bass, but there's not really a second bass part. And then there is a guitar part later on and there's no guitar player on stage. And it's things like that. that uh, the cartoons very rarely are totally synced up in yeah. that kind of way. But when you compare it to other shows like Steven universe, where even if there's like some incidental music and a character is playing an instrument and it's, it's not like super crucial. Yeah. Things 
look more consistent than this. They line up. They look correct. They play. They're playing the right things. Yeah. Like if any of the music is diegetic, it makes sense. Like what it, does diegetic mean? Diegetic means the characters are hearing it also. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, sh- yeah, makes it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I used to feel that way, same way as you, Eric, where it would really piss me off, especially in music videos. It happens all the time where the music video stuff doesn't, especially in like stuff where it's not a straight performance video, but it's a music video and there's a band performance scene. It's never lining up quite right. And it pissed me off. And the more I've gone on with my life and I've worked at Atlantic Records and stuff, I realize I'm like, nobody cares. Even I know that annoys me, me that nobody cares. Though. I know even other musicians, I think are just sort of like, whatever, it's a video. They're not playing anyway. Um, Have you ever see that movie, the red violin. That's, is that the one with Adrian Brody or is that just the violin? Yeah. I think he was in it. Right. I honestly don't even remember so the, the cast. Like this, this S- violin that's getting passed around yeah. from person to person. Yeah. He was one of the, one of the guys. Yeah, that one had of the guys. Samuel L. Jackson was in it. John Carigliano composed the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, one of my favorite modern classical composers really inconsistent output though uh and as far as film scores go it was pretty good uh but it was definitely like one of his more populist kind of works mm-hmm. uh anyway they really really took it to heart when they had like a movie about a violin that yeah. it had to look accurate on screen mm-hmm. and the way they shot that movie was outrageous they had Joshua Bell do all of the shots of like the hand on the violin and they they would like use crazy camera angles where like Joshua Bell would be like hiding behind the actor and like wrapping his arms around so that like they would get like his hands but like the famous guy's face on it and it was and they really took pains to make it look correct because it was like a really tough violin part that was diegetic but also like part of the score that was like the actual film score is really interesting sort of musical experience, but they, they, they went to great lengths to make it look right. Uh, that's kind of the gold standard, I think of diegetic music representation on screen. And I don't know that, that sticks in my mind a lot when I see something that is so far off like this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Most people just are like, don't care um and i think it's like a timing thing but i do appreciate when people learn how to you know i guess it's a thing too and like actors learn how to play guitar or sing so when they have to do the thing it's like they're playing the right thing yeah like i do appreciate when that happens and and you see that you see that sometimes where they're like i learned to play guitar so i could play this part um right the dude the dude in stranger things is like i learned how to play master of puppets Oh, I didn't. Um, I didn't watch that season yet. The new one? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Wow, dude, you! I watched something that you didn't watch. That's uh, outrageous. <laughs> I haven't had Netflix in a long time. Mm, can't get it from your parents. Uh, I could, I guess, but I just haven't wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I just did it years ago. Oh, it's great. It's like the one of the best season, seasons for sure. It's not, it's not the best. You're gonna like it. Did you watch that show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No. On Amazon? No, I I, I uh, meant to, but never got there. Uh, it's great. Really tight writing. Mm-hmm. The The characters are, they're back and forth. The dialogue is top notch. Like mm-hmm. there's uh, very little else comes close to like the repartee in like on-screen dialogue in that show. But uh, anyway, 
uh, there's there's like a whole arc one of the seasons where she's like touring as a comedian opening for a band and the musicians in the band are all over the fucking place it makes me so mad uh, <laughs> the, the bass player in the band like half the season she's playing righty and the other half she's playing lefty wow. <laughs> just because like that's the 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 setup that i had for the scene it looks but, better i guess yeah that's what, um i think one of the other ones um almost famous um what's the band name with uh with uh jason lee where oh, he's the singer um i forget that it's a great name i forget what it is uh but they did some sort of boot camp i believe where they like all like did band practice all learn their parts and i don't know if they rec- recorded some of the music that you hear um but they like and they lived as a band because they were like they're gonna get the band camaraderie and everyone's gonna learn how to play it um uh, it's just kind of fun. It was Rockstar with Marky Mark. They just had Zach Wild play all the fucking guitar shit. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like he's in the movie. He's like the guitar player. So you see his uh, fingers and stuff. Yeah, that's so sick. Um, yeah, I, was that a good movie? Uh, I don't really remember it as being a good movie, but I remember being in high school and being in a rock band and just thinking it was like cool because Zach Wilde was in it. <laughs> yeah. Um like in that Zach way that Wild. like like we liked Metalocalypse back then and yeah. Tenacious D and just it was part of the the mythology of rock and roll. Stillwater was the band from uh Almost Famous. Oh, okay. What a great fictional 70s band name. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. I I honestly never clicked with Zach Wilde. Um, but I mean, they're against them. Yeah. There was a moment where we were all really into Ozzy, so it made sense, but that's cool. I missed it. I, uh, I think it wasn't until my twenties where I really, uh, got into Black Sabbath and Ozzy and I was like, oh yeah, they're the best. I think they're like maybe the best, uh, like classic rock band. I don't, the Beatles are kind of out of that conversation. They're kind of their own thing. I, I, when I go classic rock bands, it's like, Zeppelin, Who, Pink Floyd, Sabbath, uh, the Titans. Yeah, I find that Black Sabbath holds up more and more in my personal rankings the older I get. Yeah. It's like they they basically invented heavy. Yes. It's also like, for me, um, my emotional states call for Black Sabbath more and more, where I just like want to like put on something that kind of rips and it just feels good. Like if I'm getting pumped up to go out, I put it on, if I'm angry and I'm working late at work, I can put that on. Um, I do love the who, um, pink Floyd. I, I've grown to love more. They were, I thought they were real cheesy when I was young. And then, um, finding, you know, some of those like headier records, like metal and Umaguma and stuff. I was like, yeah, I like this. Um, Oh, Sean's calling me. Oh shit. Let's uh, get, him him, get him on the pod. Yo, Sean. What's up, bro? Um, you're on the podcast with Eric. Oh, hey, guys. How are we doing? <laughs> What's up, Sean? What's up, Eric? <laughs> How are we doing, guys? Uh, good. We're just talking. What's your favorite classic rock band? My favorite classic rock band? Yeah. I think... I think uh, I'm the, the, How do we define classic rock? Is there an, <laughs> is there an era... 
Well, well, I'll tell you, I'd say radio is a good indicator. I'm not including the Beatles. I feel like they're almost just outside of the classic rock discussion. Um, I'm putting them off to the side. I I was saying examples are, and Eric add on, I was saying examples are um, the who Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath. Um, You could throw in, I guess like there's others. Skinner, the doors, the doors, Steely Dan, is Steely Dan classic rock? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Shit, that makes it hard, Dan. <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of what I here's my problem is that I have like this real negative connotation around the word classic rock because um, when we were little kids and we lived in Southern California, I just felt like the quote unquote classic rock station played like Guns N' Roses and ACDC. So yeah. I would say that until recently, that was like all I really thought of. When I thought of the word classic rock, right? So you wouldn't think of the who in there. You wouldn't think of. I wouldn't think of the who and shit like that. Interesting. You got you got screwed up by whatever that radio station was. Yeah, I think it was K Rock. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I can I say a controversial statement? Yeah. I've been thinking recently <laughs> that ACDC is kind of rad. <sighs> <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> That band fucks. That's yeah, that's sure. what I'm saying. I, I, I just don't know if it's my vibe. Okay. That's that's all I was you really know? getting at. We're on the same page. All right, continues. Yeah. So what were you th- going to say? Well, if we're talking about what the Spotify algorithms define as classic rock, there's only one option. Oh. That's, that's, the, that's the Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. How did I not think of that? That's clearly the best classic rock band. They're clearly the best American band. They're, they're the most American band there's ever been. Okay. But if we're talking about Brit Rock, it has to be The Who. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, The Grateful Dead is a classic rock band. The thing is, they don't have any songs that get played on like classic rock radio, which is interesting. Your, your guys' you refusal to call The Grateful Dead a jam band infuriates me. <laughs> well, it's because they're not really... <laughs> Friend of the Devil gets played all the time on classic rock stations. Oh, that's true. I was saying that, uh, yeah, I'm looking at a classic rock playlist on Spotify. I was saying that the best is uh, maybe Black Sabbath. Oh, wow. If I search classic rock, you know what also comes up is Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers. (laughs) That's fucked up. Led Led Zeppelin is number one. Yeah, Led Zeppelin's cool. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, my hot take here is that it might just be that Led Zeppelin is like everyone's barometer for what a rock band is, you know? Yeah. But it, it, but it might just be that for me it's so quote-unquote down the middle based on what we've learned that there are no outstanding factors truly about that band other than like the song Moby Dick like what have they really done where it's like this is special you know what I mean I okay I do know what you mean but I do think if you say that to certain people you're gonna go to blows <laughs> cause they're like people no, are like I'm gonna really get punched in the face I get that that's fine I will say I don't really know House Houses of the Holy or Physical Graffiti too much um it's all. I think it's all contextual too, because like, 
but but also I hear what you're saying where if you turn on the radio it always happens to be the middle of the guitar solo from Stairway to Heaven not the beginning of the song when you turn to the classic rock station it's it's just like it's for mid guitar solo that to me is actually like the vivid image of what a classic rock station is right you know yeah so uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's hard um, to to really wrap your mind around. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate your input, Sean. I was calling you earlier because tonight is your last night in Austin. That's true. Tonight's my last night in Austin, man. Wow. I uh, I just had to say goodbye to a bunch of my students, and it dragged out for a long time. They bought me cake, which was cool. Um, I have to ask you guys. Sorry, I know you were trying to get to like a really serious thing here. Have you guys ever had a vanilla cake with vanilla icing before? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I think it's like a classic option. That so my grandma growing up made just a basic vanilla cake with a vanilla cream cheese frosting and all the grandkids loved it. Yeah, I I yeah. Okay, hold on. I want to do I want to try something. If I just Google search cake and I go to images, it's like one of the first things that comes up, Sean. Is a vanilla cake? With vanilla frosting, yeah. I feel like we are a very, we growing up were a very chocolate-based family. Yeah. So I, like, I saw that the kids got me a, a, a cake and it had vanilla frosting. And like our family was always about like the mixing of flavors. So if I saw vanilla frosting, it's probably a chocolate cake, you know? based on like our family and stuff yeah um you know so so when i cut into it and it was a vanilla cake i was like oh what okay i was really hoping that you were gonna say that you googled cake and it was just like it was just something that looked like a computer that was cut and then it was cake oh my god those fucking videos (laughs) is this cake the fake out cakes dude yeah you know those right eric yeah Oh my god! Kill Lincoln did a funny video about something with, with I forget what it was. It was it was over the pandemic. Those videos are popular. The cake videos. Wow. Oh, you know what's funny is right down the street, which you guys will see. For me, they just opened up a new tattoo parlor. Tattoo parlor called Cake Is a Lie. <laughs> see, cake. Oh yeah. That's nice. that's from a video game. It is. Yeah. What's the uh, video or game? an old computer game. What's uh, shit? I I don't remember. That's like a like a pop culture reference. The cake uh. is a lie. Like because I think you, you, the prize you're supposed to get at the end of the game is a cake because it's like just some old computer game that was like ridiculous. But then you don't actually get it even if you beat the game. Huh. Looks like it's all all female artists at this tattoo parlor. Oh, Portal is the name Portal. of the game. Portal, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to get back to what you said. Yeah, so tonight's my final night in Austin, and i am got everything in my life packed up in a truck, and I'm going to tow my car on the back of that truck, and I'm going to start driving to Los Angeles, California tomorrow. Ooh, that's a fun drive. Should be, what, like a yes. good 20... 324 hours, right? It's something like that. I, I think it's 25, but our 
our mom is coming with us, and I'm very excited about that. Oh, um, nice. But, but also, um, the max towing, the max speed on the tow dolly for the car is 55 miles an hour. Yeah. Which is going to make the drive tomorrow. We're going to El Paso, and that drive will be like probably like 15 or 16 hours after breaks. And I, when I told my mom, when I did the math and I told my mom, she was not thrilled. Like, <laughs> I'll say that much. She was really not thrilled about that. Um, but you know, then we're going to, uh, then we're going to, uh, to Phoenix and then into LA and it'll be great. Um, yeah, man. That's classic. That's a class. <clears throat> that's a classic. Texas to LA stopover, El Paso and Phoenix. I feel like you're a madman, Eric, and when you do it, I feel like you're one of those crazy fucks that just stops in Los Cruces, or you try and like do it in, in you know, like you stop in Los Cruces, so then it's only two days. Well, what we used to do, because the Southwest is notoriously hard to book, and there's not a lot of things with, you know, within a convenient distance of each other. We used to just say, fuck it. And we would drive all the way out to LA and just start our tours in LA. Yeah. Just bite the bullet on that one drive to start it off. Yeah. Well, dang, Sean, this is the end of a chapter. I was just saying, actually, I was like at the beginning of this, we're like, man, this is like a living journal of our lives. Uh, And then look at this. You call me right now. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's great. I, I love that. I, I, I love that metaphor. It's great. It is truly the end of a chapter, you know? I mean, um, I think that I learned a lot living in Austin. Um, I think it never was really my forever city, so I definitely needed to, to get on to somewhere else. But, um, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's a cool place, you know? It, it, it's a cool place with a really great community of people, so, um, you know, I'm super thankful i got to spend time here for sure you got a, a place and all set up to move into in la do i have a place i'm moving to yeah i'm moving i my first sublet is in east hollywood hey. and it's gonna cost it's gonna cost less than if i stayed in austin at my my old house wow yes well that's a good way to start that's not that is not a compliment about cheap rentals in LA that is a dig at the uh, ever more expensive Texas housing prices yeah you're so, you're, you're yeah. doing the reverse of what everyone else is like all the people from LA are moving to Austin now yeah they are yeah they are it's like um, it's it's ruining Greg Abbott's life right <laughs> it what God he said it's ruining Greg Abbott's life yeah I think it is ruining Greg Abbott's life although I I, I the, the one problem with what you're saying is that, like, I know one guy that came from L.A., and he said this, and then I want you two to extrapolate and interpret this. Yeah, you know, L.A.'s cool. I mean, look, I get, like, you know, I, I've always lived in liberal cities. I love living in a liberal city and, like, a place with so much culture and all that. But, you know, it almost feels too liberal. Like, it's so liberal that it's no longer liberal. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, LA is definitely not too liberal. Based on what that guy said, what do you think the next thing I'm going to tell you is? Uh, um, he, he he's a huge Joe Rogan fan. <laughs> he I, he's, he was just like an outlier Republican 
Los Angeles. Ah, okay, oh. got it. You know? Yeah. Because that's actually a talking point. I've had a lot of friends. Because Austin is one of the most, like, you know, like, democratic-leaning cities in the country. And, like, I've always had friends who were, like, who were, like, you know, I come to find out that they're, like, Republicans or whatever. Or, like, I had friends that, like, were thinking about voting for Donald Trump in 2016 who were just, like, yeah, you know, like, Austin's just, like, not accepting of people's ideas. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is just, like, an ironic thing to say because it's, like, the whole point is that it, to be accepting of the multitude of different uh, yeah. identities and ways of living is the, the cultural creed of a Democrat. Yeah. You know? No, I... Anyway, we, we, I let's, down the rabbit yeah, hole let's, there, but... Let's play that down the rabbit hole theme song. Down the rabbit hole. Now I have, I I have more to say on that subject as I'm sure Eric does. And that, that is that is a rabbit hole. Um, that is, in, uh, you know, infuriating. I do, I do understand um, what uh, what you're saying, and I understand. You know, yeah, that guy's like just looking for a shitty excuse to to be a Republican. Like he, you know what I mean? Um, I do say I was. I heard somebody say this the other day, but. Um, Sometimes I do feel like it being on the coast or New York for so long that I do feel like I think I might be a coastal elite. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> I don't really know what's going on in the middle of the country. Although I'm, I think I'm more tolerant of it than my other uh, lefty friends, um, or at least willing to have a conversation. But uh, uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, I think that I think they're talking about me, and I. Don't know if they're wrong with that title. Dude, since I've moved to New York, I just see the coastal elites everywhere. Right and left, everywhere I look, just fucking coastal elites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Eric, Eric's experience living in Denton and the DFW would have been very different than mine. I will say that Austin is such a bubble in a way that um, other places aren't. And, like, there truly are so many incredible things about Austin I mean but like one of my big things that after a while I didn't really realize it was something that was like unsettling or uncomforting or whatever but it's like it's a monoculture type place like it's a um, I, I don't know how else to put that like the cultural makeup of Austin is feels very 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 um kind of shoehorned and singular into like a very specific like set of things that people do and think and whatever and like all of that you know right um and did, in comparison to like us growing up moving around to all of these big fucking disaster cities where it's just smashing people from all over the world together and like you know with that does come you know the the more, in my opinion, more American, like, melting pot of disparate and different and, and obviously sometimes conflicting views and, and stuff like that, you know. But um, that is one of my that is one of my feelings is that Austin is like this bubble, you know. I don't know, Eric, I would assume Denton would have been different than that. Denton was definitely uh, not as bad <clears throat> as... It 
when I moved to Denton in 2010, it was not as bad as it was when I left in 2020. Uh, but yeah, Denton really, really revealed itself to be uh, a pretty serious conservative stronghold. Like that was in disguise as a liberal college town. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I was also meaning by, by um, not the stay with that uh, side with the f- fucking uh, Republican guy, but there is, and it's like, you go, you go walk around Williamsburg and you are like, yeah, it is kind of monoculture Like, like you're saying, Sean, where there's like, there's a, there's this stuff. Although who knows? I think, I think we've learned a lot in the last couple of years that y- you might just assume everyone's on the same page. And then all of a sudden they're not, uh, that tends to happen more and more. Uh, but anyway, Sean, yeah. um, before we keep going down this rabbit hole, uh, because we're doing it. Uh, we, anything else you want to say? We should talk Adventure Time, really. Yeah, have you watched the episode The Music Hole? Wait, what is it? The Music Hole? Um, have you guys done episode discussion yet? We're in the, we were in the middle of it. <laughs> Somehow we were talking about Black Sabbath. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, that's why you asked me about Classic Rock. Yeah. The Music you Hole, know, there's... There's a big hole. There's a whole big hole in the ground with eyes, and it's singing. Um, and there's a battle of the bands. Yeah, that's a great episode. And actually, Nick, um, when you someday watch um, more of the show and all of that stuff, um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a great character. The music hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I personally do not remember this specific episode i just remember um without being spoilerly i just remember the I, all i really remember is the last time we see the musical in the show and eric knows what i'm talking about yeah uh, but because it's, but, it's yeah, voiced so, by the singer that does the end credits song yeah 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 well i guess yeah um Yeah, musical's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go watch it. Yeah, cool, dude. Well, um, good luck tomorrow with the drive. Uh, I'll sure I'll talk to you and mom and uh, take care, brother. Yeah, see you two later. Later, Sean. I was hoping that would happen. <laughs> Did you orchestrate that? No, no, no. <laughs> I just called him like hours ago, and I didn't. He didn't pick up or text me or call me, so I was like. Literally at six, I was like, I wonder if maybe we'll call during the podcast. I guess that's not the end of the world. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Okay, so what were we talking about? Well, anyway, um, the music. Um, thing is about the music in this show is that there's more music in this cartoon than probably any other cartoon I can think of, and which is impressive, right? Like. Steven Universe has a lot more music. More music than this? Yeah, Steven Universe has a lot of um, both diegetic and... Yeah, I... That... Personally, I prefer uh, Adventure Time music to Steven Universe's music. I know you're probably the opposite. Yeah, I think Steven Universe presents the music a lot better. The quality of the individual songs is a lot higher. Uh, It's a lot more smoothly integrated into the show. Uh, also like, I mean the, the score 
of Adventure Time is a lot of like nonsense electronic blips and bleeps and stuff. And Steven Universe has like real underscoring yeah. throughout I, the whole show. I think your digs at it are all why I like Adventure Time better. I like the scrappiness of it. Like we were talking about like the non-perfect vocal performances, the the wavering of tempo. That's all over all of these cartoons that are featuring music. And I, I think that's cool. Uh, yeah. I just, but I just, Steven Universe sometimes is like, Oh, uh, we're getting a little close to music theater here for me. Well, okay, so uh, which is a little. Dee Magno Hall is like an actual musical theater actress, yeah, and she's amazing. And I love Pearl's songs. I they're some of my favorite. Um, Estelle is obviously like a huge pop star, yeah, and I think it's awesome to hear her sing without autotune. And she is a little bit off, and she is a lot more human sounding on Steven Universe than she ever is on yeah. any of her records, and that's cool. Um, I just think that like the source material at its core of Adventure Time music is not as strong as any of the other shows like Craig of the Creek, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously we love Jeff. There's our Jeff Rince. The score of that show is incredible. And every time there's a song in it, it's just like, it knocks it out of the park. Uh, whether the characters are singing or not, like the musical episode of Craig of the Creek is like such a high watermark of cartoon music. Yeah. Um, adventure, uh, sorry, regular show has <laughs> some really ridiculous music. It's, yeah. it licenses a lot of songs, which a is lot. atypical. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, but there's like this eighties hair metal glam rock kind of thing. That Mark mother's kind of like yeah. undercurrent running through it all. That's at least very consistent. Well, um, I did write read that one of the producers on the shows writes a lot of those songs. Not Mark. He does all the score, though. Oh, okay, yeah. But anyway, um, no, I hear you. I think you have a sound argument. Yeah. Although, when I guess I guess you got to give credit to where it's like you know, Craig of the Creek and uh, and Stephen Years are coming after a bedrock of Adventure Time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, that's probably a really good point. The blueprint. I don't think was quite written out yet. Uh, regular show and was the only predecessor that had like music to speak of, right? Like, like so, especially what, in Cartoon Network, I guess on, you know, there's, there are things that happen on probably Nickelodeon and Disney too, that we're like not touching on. But I, I do think that like the success of early adventure time and having like viral moments off of musical moments, probably, it, uh, you know, then when Steven Universe is coming along, it's like, oh yeah, like Rebecca Sugar, she wrote some of those songs. Like, give her this. Like, it it would be it would be a encouraging thing to do. So yeah, well yeah, and that's that, that's kind of, I think that throws it into focus even more is that Adventure Time's most standout musical moments come from Rebecca Sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, the theme song, the Adventure Time, Time theme song. Yeah, that's not her though. No, but that's probably I. And very enduring. I'm not like really into that opening theme song. Hmm. Interesting. The end credit song is just a song by that artist. That yeah. They just took, it wasn't composed specifically for the show. I don't believe. Yeah. I think the theme song is pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not in love with it, honestly. Hmm. Interesting. I think Steven just, Universe's opening theme is I can't, awesome. I can't, honestly, I can't remember the Steven Universe theme. Although it's been a while, and I watched. We are the Crystal Gems. 
Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, Craig of the Creek has oh, maybe the best opening theme song of all time for a cartoon. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> We've seen that performed live. Craig of the Creek, it's a good one. Um, I don't know. Adventure Time, though. I I think like I I would disagree, especially like in its recording and performance and arrangement, like it hits you in the face with what's going to be special about the show immediately. Like you, you, when you hear it and it's like the performance isn't perfect and it's just on a ukulele and it doesn't sound especially well recorded. It sounds like it almost could have been one mic for the ukulele and the voice. And just like those decisions and the, the sing songiness of the melody uh, is like I don't know. It's like the perfect vibe setter for what the show is going to be. Yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying, and I think that there's a way to do that to keep that DIY charm and quirkiness, and that like you know very bedroom quality style mm-hmm. uh, with just being a little bit better. <laughs> I don't know the espe- okay. So one thing I did notice. I can't even. I I'm surprised you're saying. That. I I can't. I can literally. Like, not even imagine a better song. Like I just take it so much for granted after watching this much Adventure Time that that just is the Sponge. It's like the SpongeBob theme. You're like that just is the SpongeBob theme, or like this is that is the Simpsons theme. Like I don't know. I like I can't imagine another theme for some of these shows when you've heard it hundreds of times. Yeah. I, so the opening theme is is fine. It's not bad. I'm not like the hugest fan of. I don't. I don't think it ranks well against the other shows that I like. Uh, in my personal Mm. rankings but um like i think that like this episode in particular there's so many music moments and so many things that like you can zoom in on and and critique and it's like why why wasn't this done better why why didn't they put a little bit more effort into this like i did notice in particular one of the sequences in the beginning of this episode um has like some very high quality animation like, oh, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, it was just it was like BMO. A, yeah, BMO was like running and the camera's like swiveling around BMO. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, this is very smooth. And this is like looking so good. And like we're in season eight. Like they've got like a well-oiled machine. They've got the budget. They've, you know, they know what they're doing with the show. They clearly have, they have an, enough to put behind any action that they're going to do. So why wouldn't they do something awesome if they're going to do it? And then there's so much that's just like falls short. It's like LSP, like not hitting the snare drum at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, why yeah. wouldn't, why, if you're going to go all in on BMO, like running over to Finn in like one shot in the beginning of the episode, why wouldn't you just fucking put the snare drum at the right spot? Cause, because there's probably like 2% of the audience that gives a shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone notices BMO looks so good. And it's like, yeah, Bimo looks fucking great in that shot. But then, like, even even like, regardless of where the where the snare is hitting, like, the animation of LSP playing drums is so rigid and gross, and it looks bad. And she doesn't look good behind that drum set. Mm-hmm. It's just like, man, like, the moments they picked and cho- chose to like make good and not make good are just like, why? <laughs> I don't, yeah. it doesn't I don't I don't get it. it? Feels like a lot of missed opportunities in this episode. Yeah, that are indicative of like a larger problem in the show for me. Yeah. This is this is one of my main criticisms of Adventure Time. This is the is the the snare drum not hitting? <laughs> yeah. No, but no, the like music? the larger musical hmm. focus. And like 
the weird like experimental like chiptune blip and bloop kind of stuff is it's sometimes it just seems like an afterthought like there isn't really a lot of like purpose behind it you know like and and because it's so unrecognizable like we don't we aren't really clued into like musical cues that are happening they reuse so much of the music you ever like look on those wiki pages like all the trivia like oh the the theme that plays under this scene was also used in this other episode like that's like half of those wiki entries sometimes it's like music just being reused from like like three seasons later right like yeah it's like it it did it not mean something specific when it was first composed that it i can don't just... but in tv does it i mean tv and tv scoring people reuse stuff all the time well if it's like a theme if it's like something that has like like a thematic meaning if it like if it's attached to a, a character or a setting or yeah, something but like, like that. spongebob they just recycle like four songs yeah i mean spongebob is not like but a always, paragon of it's always sunny in philadelphia is always kirby enthusiasm yeah and those and seinfeld and, and, and those scores weren't even seinfeld compo- they redo it new for every episode i mean curb and sunny like those aren't even scores specifically for those shows right right it's stock music but it works so i guess to me if it works it works like it doesn't bother me if it's stock music or if it's they've recorded like i don't know i i don't think they someone needs to to me if it works it works so I, like i don't need i'm not like going to be a purist where it's like they need to re do every episode needs new music i don't know in a show like adventure time that like inherently avoids formulas yeah I, I, I where an episode takes nine months from beginning to end in the production right. schedule like, like why not just make new music right like if you're gonna if you're gonna do the work why not do it well yeah i mean that's kind of a philosophy that i right. try to adhere to in general and i just i, I feel like d- i've noticed a lot of moments in adventure times music where it doesn't doesn't seem like they're, they're giving it their all interesting you're definitely listening to the critical ear of somebody who would like... I'm being very critical. I'm being so nitpicky right now. Yeah. Like, I... I've, like, honestly never thought about this before. <laughs> like, watching this, I watch I watch it, and I was like, yeah, those these weren't great songs, and, like, I'm surprised Marceline didn't have a better song. But to me, it worked in the in the context of the episode, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm very critical of <laughs> cartoon scoring. And, I mean, TV scoring in general, because, like, there's there's so many ways to fake TV scoring. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. There's so many awful TV scores out there. Uh, Game of Thrones, for instance, I think that's one of the fucking worst TV scores ever. It's so mm-hmm. goddamn obvious. Uh, it's like, it just, Oh, like listen to these medieval modes. Like this character does yeah. this. Like I, I fucking hate that. Um, <laughs> same thing with like the Mandalorian, right? Like fucking star Wars. I think it has a terrible score. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, no, I'm not like in a majority in in voicing these opinions. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people love that music. I think it's so uh, just blunt, and it's just so obvious. Like there's there's no nuance to the Mandalorian score. It's just like let's throw kitchen sink orchestration style at fucking everything. I it drives me insane. Um, but like there, I think there's something like really interesting when like someone's taking it seriously, and it's a TV show. It's not a film, right? Mm-hmm. It's like. It's like, and they develop the music over the course of a few episodes and, and that kind of thing. Uh, Blake Neely is like one of my favorite TV composers. Uh, writes a lot of cheeseball, very campy kind of stuff. Uh, and yet I feel like it it works for the things that he does. Um, he did the score to The Flight Attendant. Have you watched that? 
I watched a couple episodes, but I did not. Oh man, I love Kaylee Coco. We've talked about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think that that uh, show has such a fun score. Uh, Blake Neely knocks it out of the park, and it's like it's campy. It's campy as hell. But uh, and like and that like so I can like that kind of stuff. Uh, but it just there's there's a care there that I don't hear with other with a, other big blockbuster shows. Um, I'm watching Star, Star vs. the Forces of Evil right now. Uh, amazing chiptune soundtrack. One mm-hmm. of the best chiptune scores that exists. Yeah, and and I I don't think people give that show credit uh, for its score. There there are some some sc- like scoring moments that are like a little bit generic uh, in that show, but in general, like chiptune music is amazing, and and that doesn't come up in conversation enough. I don't think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I pay attention to this this is like something that I get very preoccupied with um, <laughs> and it's always just been very glaring to me that one of my favorite shows the show that I do a fucking podcast on ranks pretty low in my canon of, of TV scores interesting um, yeah I guess to me what's interesting about hearing you say that is that I feel like one of, to me, one of the most important aspects of a score and how I would judge it is like, does it add to the overall feeling and vibe to the show in a in a positive, additive way where like it, it's it's giving life to the world. It like is part of what I think of, not even like consciously but subconsciously, like the chip tune bleeps and blops the handmade songs that aren't always performed or even the songs aren't even that great like is like woven into the fabric of the show and which i love so much so from that standpoint i'm always just like yeah it's cool like i i think your criticisms criticisms are right like there are definitely moments in the score especially early on in the episodes i would say always where it's like establishing and finn and jake are doing some crazy shit or ice kings milling about and yeah it, it there's just sort of like random noises happening and these things that are just sort of yeah it's 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 odd you know or like it the the the, int- the title card music will be just like outrageous and it like won't necessarily match the tenor of the show i like i hear all of it but when i zoom out and i think about the overall effect and like what it adds to my feeling of the show i'm like it's positive you know and it feels additive so that's that's like that's my take you know it's like i kind of feel the same way it's like you know like just finished i just finished watching regular show and it's like that theme song is like perfect and it's just like three notes on a synthesizer but it like in- really encapsulates like what you're about to get from the show and like i, I really remember it you know and um I feel yeah, like that's yeah, I, just as important to being like a good song on its own as like, you know what I mean? I, I, I will say, I don't think anything, any of the music in Adventure Time is like actually like, like a net negative. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything is like just Right. That's bad. a good way to say it. To me, it's a net positive for the overall product. And, f- and when I, th- if I feel that way, I feel like it's successful. If you're evaluating it, like not as a holistic thing, but now you start just like really zooming in on it, it might not hold up to snuff is maybe a good way of. Yeah. And I'm doing the thing that is so shitty to like judge art this way, but I'm like, I'm not judging it for what it is. I'm judging it for the potential that I personally see that it could be. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. judging it by like some 
other standard of what it's not. Right. And I know that sucks. I know that's super yeah, well, I mean, picky, but it is interesting. I, I I don't know much about this, but it would seem like you know that's not uncommon, right? Like scoring comes later a lot of times in the process. It's not given the budget that other departments are probably given. Um, yeah, there's just two people doing this, right, for Adventure Time, and it's like, and, like, and I th- and they're not actually working together. I don't think most of the time they're either they're taking turns, right. And I wonder like at what point they're given to it. I also do wonder like how it all works. Like, I do wonder if like the show's written the dialogue, and then they like as animation's going, they put it up, and then you know like people use all the time temp scores and things. Like, I wonder if like the editors were like, give us a bunch of music. Then that way they can like try it out and see how scenes are playing. And they're like, and eh, we'll just keep that. It's good enough. And they're, you know what I mean? Like for ease of editing, like, I wonder how process dictates how the music ends up. Um, yeah. There's uh, I, I think it's like maybe a little bit different for every show, but usually they'll have the animatic finished. Right. Uh, by the time the composer starts on the music. Um, which is like pretty late in the process, right? Because because you need to know the animatic, you need to know the pacing of the scene, the pacing of the dialogue, because the animatic will have the dialogue, and then you can be like, okay, cool, now let's start going with the music. So they don't have as much time. Like I've always heard, like that it's like it's always like a race against time when you're scoring things for TV, and it I never really understand, yeah, why. Like occasionally Jeff Rosenstock will post on like Twitter or whatever, like. Oh, I was just trying to figure out this Craig of the Creek thing for the last seven hours. I gotta get it in, like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. there's like the deadlines are here. Um, I've seen some other people talk about that. I, I don't. I'm interested in in how the process because it it does seem like such a wild thing to take so much time, probably writing it and then editing and making it all perfect, and then to have the music sort of be like, "Fuck, just get it in." Uh, is kind of wild. Yeah. If I was scoring a TV show, which is something I would love to do, yeah, uh, I would want to be involved at an earlier stage in the creative process than just like waiting to get an animatic and then putting music to it. Yeah, I would want to like ha- have discussions with the writers about like where thematic elements overlap and where they intertwine, like in the story arc, and and have more of an architecture yeah. planned out from the beginning rather than just get like, okay, we need 20 seconds here. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, as, as you talk about things like that, like it, it becomes clear what you're saying with adventure time where it's like, imagine if they could add the, the sonic palette that I'm enjoying, but then they could give it the thematic resonance uh, that it could have. Like, I understand what you're saying about the potential. Like if they, if they rose the bar, like I get it. I, it's, I think it's a I think it's a worthy note. Um, even if it does work on the whole, um, I hear what you're saying. It's interesting. Um, I would love to hear if any of the uh, listeners. I would love to hear listener feedback on what you think about the Adventure Time music. Do you like it? Is it up to snuff? What do you think? Like, how does the Adventure Time theme song hold up? Did you see the mail at gmail.com? I think could be very fun to yeah. hear. What was y'all's favorite song at the Battle of the Bands from this episode? That's a great one. Mine, by the way, was Susan Strong's song, the very oh, first one. Yeah, that was definitely the best song. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's probably indisputable. Constant pain. And it had this like really awesome like karaoke energy to the backing track, and she's a great singer. Um, 
That whole sequence was probably the funniest. Then she finishes. <laughs> Susan Strong needs more bass in her monitors. <laughs> and then Bimo jumps up, kicks Jake off the desk, and is like doing goes like, We go live in five, which is insane. I'm like, wait, are there cameras here? Or is this broadcast? What? Um Yeah, Susan Strong song was real good. I, I you almost go, you're like, wait, is Susan Strong like I was like, where are we in Susan Strong's arc? I'm like, is she fully like modernized? Because she sounds so good. Um, but then she still doesn't talk exactly correct. Oh, right. So I guess at that point, did they just get back from the Islands miniseries? Yeah, I guess so. Wait, so Susan, I thought Susan Strong went to go hang out with a friend or something after that. Did she come back? Did the Islands miniseries happen already? No. It hasn't happened yet. Did it happen yet? I think. No, maybe it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. No. Islands miniseries is the end Sorry, of the end of season eight because Element starts the beginning of seasons yeah. season nine. Okay, so it so it all right, so she's just regular Susan Strong. Yeah. And she somehow has the song inside of her. Yeah. <laughs> right. That does, That makes it better. <laughs> it does make it better. That's what I was asking, and then yeah. Um that's cool. Finn also is mourning the loss or like mourning the uh, Finn sword. Uh, I forget how that breaks. Yeah. I, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I forgot this. Um, but yeah, there's a really funny exchange between Jake and PB. And I was like, do we get a lot of princess bubblegum and Jake one-on-one? Like we've gotten it recently. We got it in that other episode, but that's a dynamic that you probably don't get to see all the time and is, very awesome yeah i know it's hilarious whenever it happens yeah it was really they're they're very opposite characters they are especially in finn's life yeah they give finn two different things (laughs) oh my god yeah um they but they do know what they do agree on everyone agrees on is the five second rule (laughs) (laughs) because of course um they all they they have seemed to between the two of them come up with a few different plans for cheering up Finn when it needs to happen. One, one of which is the waffles, which isn't working. Second of which is plan C, which Jake has to go get. And when he gets plan C out of a, uh, like a filing system, it's just one eighth note on yeah. a piece of paper. <laughs> and he has to call, uh, Prince of Bubblegum back. So what is plan C? It's music something, <laughs> which is like, why didn't they just write down? That's a, that's a funny joke. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah. And then they have this battle of the bands and there's a stage erected and everyone's going to perform. First up is Neptor and flame princess. And I, so I was like, Oh yeah. So Finn and flame princess, I guess are cool by this point. Like she's down to do this to help cheer up Finn. Yeah. A um, lot, a lot has happened since their relationship blew up. Right. Um, and she's like a backpack rapper. She almost looks like Kanye. Um, circa like college dropout era where she's wearing like a polo and a backpack um and a backwards hat which is kind of what he wore during that that time um yeah what what when did this come out like 2017 no 2016 something like that which is well which is interesting which is far at this point far beyond that era of kanye and also far beyond the conventions of backpack rap which was happening like like far earlier um like in the i guess what would that be like the mid 2000s backpack uh uh, backpack rapper what what years would backpack rap be 
God, I'm trying to break. <laughs> but this is something. Um, yeah, I guess 2000s, there was some of it. Um, like, when did, like, if I college, when College Dropout came out, um, it was like a thing, um, which was like, what, 2004? Yeah. So probably 2003, 2002, it was a backpack. Kanye was like, he's like, yeah, like, I kind of like just adopted that shit because I was like a wave I knew I could help ride. <laughs> um, but then he was into polos and being, uh, he had his whole thing. Did you watch the Kanye documentary? No, I on, still haven't watched it. It's quite great. But um, what I will say, though, about that and this fake rapping is that now we're in 2017. Okay. This is something I, if I'm going to be critical at times of Adventure Time is uh, there's there's some shit in there that's like TikTok would say is cringy millennial shit. Like early on in this series, like when it comes out, the like the fake rapping. Like we've talked about this where it's like calling people homie and you're like almost adopting black culture in an ironic way was like a thing people did in like the late 2000s and it was like fun and like nerdy people did it you know knowingly wink wink yeah um and back i guess it's hard you know i'll it's, it's it i don't seems give i don't give him a pass for it but sorry what were you gonna say it seems that the rap is intentionally bad in an ironic manner yeah an ironic manner and that happens every time flame princess raps throughout right. the whole series and it's i think it's indicative of a lot of the rap and a lot of the hip-hop and it never makes me feel good and that was a joke that never made me feel good when people used to do it um in the late 2000s like when we were in high school and college and people would just like start saying shit rappers would say or black people would say in ironic fashion i'd be like i don't like this um and what i will say is that certainly by what year did this did we say this comes out 2016 or 17 is my guess we are far beyond that being even funny at this point like this is this is ironic bad rapping like you know like yeah flame princess has been rapping on the show for many seasons now like she could know. have gotten better right and I, I guess i'm just saying like this joke is like i guess i'm just like like the lonely island is even like over at this point i'm like the bad rap joke is is played out but I'm like, at this point, I'm like, oh man, like, are the people in the sh- making this show now and they're like mid to late thirties and they're like, oh yeah, this is a funny thing to do. So they're still doing it. Like, I don't know. That's, that's what that makes me feel like. Cause I'm just like, that's not a funny thing. Yeah. Like, there, yeah. There could have been so many other ways to present <laughs> hip hop music on this show. And that's, that's the iteration they went with. Yeah. The and- lens they went through it with is like nerdy white person, ironic rap um which is just interesting like i like i don't know i feel like now if i feel like even now if they were doing the show they'd probably find somebody actually good at rapping that was probably a person of color to come on and do a rap in the adventure time way and it would be it could be cool yeah why not do that to your point why not just do that right why do this like I, uh when craig of the creek has a rapper on they get del the funky homo, homo sapien yeah and, and they're it, like, why is your voice so deep for like a, a 10 year old? <laughs> He's right. like, I'm from the future or something like that. It didn't, didn't regular show have Tyler, the creator and Donald Glover, Charles Gambino in the same episode. Did they rap battle? Oh, there is that episode. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah. And, and Tyler, Tyler definitely likes, um, I hear it is 
show's gonna be a regular show. Yeah, and they rap. Oh, it's like. Y'all better watch out. Cause big trouble's on the mic now. I knock all of your lights That's out. That's Tyler the Creator. Y'all be cursed, it's rolling like some fireworks. Blitz comment on the scene. You step to me and you're gonna get cream. Corn all up in your teeth. You reek. You're the opposite of sheep. You freak. Your runs are like antiques. Nobody wants them. They throw them all away. Riding from the giggle like your brain is on delay. Matter of fact, yo, you better get a checkup. Go ask a doctor why you be so ugly from the neck up. There he is. Don't forget it. Y'all better catch up to where we're at. You're behind the times. Can't compete without your rhymes. So you better say your goodbyes. He's gonna rap against pops. This is good. I mean, more to your point, which is like, if, why not? (laughs) (laughs) That's always an available option. (laughs) Right. Especially, you've already had Donald Glover on the show. Yeah. He just killed that. Um, Yeah. Uh, Like, why not? What was his character again? Um, Marshall Lee. Marshall. why Why couldn't Marshall Lee come to the Battle of the Bands? I mean, that's a fake character. Oh, right. Yeah, Donald Glover doesn't actually exist in oh, the, right, 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 right. In, the, in the mainline universe. So they couldn't. <clears throat> but but hear- yeah, instead they have, well, Andy Milanakis, like, <laughs> kind of was a rapper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, that, and they're probably like, oh, let's use him. You know, it makes sense. But yeah, but not my favorite. Um, yeah, so that, that happens. Um, then there's the, the yeah, whole... Yeah, it's just missed opportunities is what yeah. lot, it, I just... It feels too obvious for me. It's like they, they could have gone better. They could have made this more legit. They could have put some more time into it. I feel like if they're going to like have an episode named The Music Hole and have it be specifically music focused. Should do a music, big music episode. Yeah. Like there should be more than just like, oh, we're going to put a few songs in it. Like it should, there should be some more care taken. Right. And, uh, you know, Jake is rehearsing on the viola with lady ran corn and he goes in there and he's singing some insane song about Epinatus, which is funny, <laughs> but I'm almost sort of like, okay, get someone to, to rap appropriately. Then like, what if Jake could do a, a really incredible song with the viola or bluegrass or something? And, and then, uh, like an insane Marceline song, like, you, like, it, and it could have covered more ground. You could have had three great moments. Yeah. Like this, I mean, this is your, your Scott Pilgrim episode. This is like, we're going to do like all of the 
being in a band music tropes kind of thing uh here's the battle of the bands and like it's okay that like maybe we're not going super deep on a story level here uh because we're like we're gonna descend into these tropes but like everything they did was just not not convincing to me i don't know yeah um yeah ice king sings a song which could be funny I didn't think it was really that funny. Um, the, what was funnier? Like a waste of a scene. What was well? The thing that's not a waste of it is that he has let Gunter and the other penguins go out to be bodyguards, <laughs> yeah. and then they're out there like literally breaking the legs of the banana guards, like, <laughs> like li- severing. Yeah, one legs. of them, one of them like literally <laughs> severs the the popsicle stick leg of the banana guards, and that. That was one of the biggest laughs and like holy shit <laughs> yeah. of the episode. He's fucking permanently maimed at this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's another. Uh, yeah, that 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 was something. Uh, and then Jake is like drawn. I mean Finn is drawn to, you know, this hole in the ground that's singing this song, that uh, only he can hear. Um, and there's actually there's only two people that can hear, right? And it's and you see in the eye, it's uh, someone with childlike innocence like a bemo. Or someone who has suffered profound loss, someone like Simon. And Finn seems to be somewhere just square in the middle of those things. Um, probably closer to loss based off what he's going through. But it's almost he's at like this weird convergence that's giving him access. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I, I will it, say I found... Th- then they, they meet and they have a really nice touching conversation and they sing a song together, and Finn awards the whole the the winner of the battle of the bands. Um, I liked you know the sunset and the song they sang together. It wasn't like an incredible song, but I did find it emotionally resonant. Yeah, that was the most uh, successful musical moment of of the episode, and yeah. it's 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 the closer, and that makes sense. It also felt the most tonally consistent with the successful the other successful music moments of the series uh, yes, yes uh yeah it, I, I don't know what the story of that song is if it was written by that artist i forget her name uh-huh. um it seems like it was specifically for this show right yeah i think what would oh uh yeah i look up to you this is it right it is cool that the, like i think it's always a very powerful moment uh, when now I'm going off of cartoons, uh, because cartoons usually have theme songs, um, that are more theme songy than, uh, you know, more serious shows. But I think it's very powerful when you take the theme song or the end credit song and work it into the score and music of the episode itself. That's cool. That's kind of how the whole series ends the season 10 finale uh we get like this big you know extra version of the end credits song um they never really use the opening theme in the show anywhere i don't think um there's like a couple moments in steven universe that are so powerful where they use the opening theme song like in in an episode uh, and then they use the. Uh, it's like when someone says the name of the movie in the movie, and you go, "Holy shit, there it is! <laughs> yeah. I am the Godfather." It's like, thank God, here we go. Yeah, um, there's there's just something there's it, there's always like a little bit of a meta kind of thing, like like they're they're saying something to the viewer, 
Uh, like this is important for whatever reason. It's going to resonate on a level outside of what's just going on at this moment because you have you have some sort of cachet with this music already. Uh-huh. And using that singer who has that familiar voice, uh, it is impactful. There is context there that we are clued into just being a fan of the show for eight seasons at this point um, and hearing that that voice at the end of every single episode. Um, so that's cool. I like. That. I think that is a very Adventure Time moment. It's the, it's it's the most Adventure yeah. Time moment I mean, of the I, episode. I, I I really did think in that moment. I was like, oh, they made the other song shitty so that it could this one can stand out and clearly be the best, most effective. You know, you know if we got a good ending song, maybe we don't need the other ones to be so good. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, I I mean, I, I get that. I I think that it could have worked from a story perspective. Even even with, if all those songs were amazing, yeah. and they were clearly still unaffecting to uh-huh, Finn, uh-huh. And, like it, from that angle, it could have been just as successful, uh, if not more so. Yeah, um, I hear you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was cool, and uh, I mean, what I will say, Plan C, aka Battle of the Bands, did seem to ultimately sort of work on him. Yeah, it at least got him to a spot where he could hear. The musical. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting because it, it's kind of a like a Raiders of the Lost Ark situation. Like none of that really mattered. Like, yeah. Did they, they they didn't really need to do that battle of the bands? I guess right. What does that mean, Raiders of the Ross Lost Ark uh, situation? Uh, oh, well, the whole point of like what Indiana Jones was trying to do in that mo- movie was prevent like the bad guys from getting the MacGuffin. Uh-huh. Uh, but then at the very end of the movie, they get it anyway. And it like, it, it just them getting it, like they fucked that up and they, and they lost because they got it. Yeah. So nothing he did mattered. They could have just, the bad guys could have just won from the very beginning and that, and they would have lost. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's like, we just watched this whole fucking two hours of, you know, all these stunts and this, <laughs> like this fucking college professor doing all this crazy shit yeah, for no reason. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whole battle of the bands, like, did it need to happen? Did it need to be related to music? Like, presumably, like Finn was just in this mental state where he could have heard the music hole anyway. Yeah. So. But we don't know. If, well, he may have. He may have heard it anyway. But it, it did seem. Yeah. Who knows? It did seem to have alerted him to and engaged him more with music through the battle of the bands. I mean. I, I guess like he started like he was like totally fucking out of it. And then all of a sudden he was there and he was like entranced by Susan. He was there. He was listening to the Marceline and then the other song really caught him. Um, so there's that. Um, it's interesting. I never really thought about it from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Although I, I do love that movie and I still find that story effective. Yeah. It's kind of, that's it's a great twist. That's like a classic p- plot hole. That's like yeah. the example of a, a Hollywood blockbuster plot hole. It was like the whole movie didn't need to happen. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But it did need to happen because Indiana Jones did need to try to stop it. I it, I mean, is Indiana Jones really someone who undergoes character development? I don't think so. No, no, but f- he has to, he has to try to stop. If he's going to exist, that character believes enough to try to stop it. He's motivated to stop it. Yeah, but he doesn't accomplish anything. So like, what's the point of a movie? It's fun. Right. But yeah, like, I mean, there's no, there's no like. He does fall in love. Does he? Yeah. With the, with the lady, doesn't he? 
I don't know. I don't think it matters at the end, though, right? Um, I don't know if they're together or not at the end, but you don't really want them to be together. But you do want them to have found some love. I honestly haven't watched those movies in forever. Uh, I used to really like them. The first one is like, it's just so much fun. I don't, you know, I know you do need, you do, you do need, I understand the conventions of, 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 of storytelling, that those are things that you need to have happen. But then I just watched the movie and I'm always like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I hear you. It is, it is a very funny thing. Good plot hole. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one that I see come up all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. That's a, that's a, I get it. It's a thing. Um, do I, did you see a snail? Uh, yeah, I saw the snail. Nick, did you see the snail? No, I didn't see the snail. Really? You gasped when he was on screen. Really? I thought it was. I thought that was you seeing the snail. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Um, no, I think I gasped when it was because it was like during the uh, when the dude got his leg hit. No, it wasn't that moment. Uh, he was in the green room when Jake was playing viola with Lady Rainicorn. Uh huh. And. I thought you perked up because you saw you saw this. No, smell. something else must have happened that really uh, <laughs> that really got me. One second, one second. I'm sorry. Eric Dano. Damn, okay. I was actually looking at the screen too. Oh yeah, he was on the on the table in the green room. Damn. <laughs> the, the 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 green room, is that what that was backstage? I don't know. Yeah. It seemed like that was a green green room. It, right? it was. <laughs> okay. I did love all the just like the little visual references to like everything that happens in my life. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> Jake on a mixing console. Dude, I just got the September schedule for Brooklyn Bowl. Doing some awesome shows. Wow. I'm, uh, I don't know if they're bringing their own engineer for this show. I hope not. But I'm scheduled to do front of house for Craig Robinson and the Nasty Delicious. Oh, wow. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be an insane show. <laughs> oh, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to look just like Jake in this episode. <laughs> All right. Miscellany Mania. We got some miscellaneous mania here, that's for sure. Yes, let's go. Okay, so this episode was storyboarded by Polly Guo and Andre Salaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but those are two names that I don't see very often, if at all yet. Um, like on our journey. Yeah. Um, and so are they new to the show <laughs> at this point? I know, like the last couple seasons. There was like a lot of new writers coming on. So, um, Andre Salaf only storyboards two episodes: this one and King's Ransom. 
but is on for a much longer amount of time as a supervising director. Okay. Um, including some like big episodes that yeah that we like. Hall of Egress, Mars, Lean the Vampire Queen, The More You Mow, The More You Know, etc. Um Polly Quo only did Oh yeah, Polly only did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes. And this was the first one she storyboarded? <coughs> yeah. I feel um, like they don't really have like a a total command of, of the show's tone yet at this point. I, I feel the, like this, this those is like, storyboarders. Yeah. This is like harsh criticism, but like, I feel like this episode comes from like a little bit of a different place and maybe like inexperienced storyboarders mm. on the show have something to do with that. Hmm. Sounds like this is your least favorite episode of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it's not, it's not, but it, I have criticisms and it's only because I, I love the show so much and I love music so much that I am really going in hard on this episode, but (laughs) yeah, Um, I, I, I feel like the tone is just not quite what we're used to. And it's just, I mean, you know, the storyboarders imprint is noticeable episode to episode like yeah and that's usually a really great thing it's like oh man it's so refreshing to have like a jesse moynihan episode after a rebecca sugar episode like two really great stamps on the show that are unique and yeah and and standalone um and this one don't feel like i i feel i feel like they're they're still like a little struggling with the house style you know what i mean mm-hmm yeah. Rather than putting their own interesting spin on it or um, commanding it in a in the house style way, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. I um <laughs> I I didn't feel that the tone was really like that off. I mean, the only thing that truly felt off about this episode to me would kind of be Marceline being so concerned with the pick. That's the only thing that that took me out of it. That's the only thing for me that's weird. Um, and it, it was really a device to get Finn to hear. Like, I understand the function it serves like, and it it created drama and then it allowed them to do this whole crazy thing with the crowd where they searching for the pick and then, the crowd getting riled up. She's like, I got that from a demon. And like, yeah. And she's not, and when they're not playing, all the banana guards are getting riled up, which means that the security has to come out. That's like some very fun, like music festival stuff. And I, I, so I get why they invented it and everything. And it led to some funny moments, but it just didn't really seem in keeping with, uh, Marceline or like, again, like this is like being some real, uh, specific kind of, uh, stuff where I'm like, yeah, but if she's such an experienced musician, like you lose your picks all the time. Picks aren't something that like <laughs> a, a professional m- musician or even like a, a practicing musician cares about. You don't have your lucky pick, you I, know. I've been struggling with this so much last week. I finally ordered new picks because I'm oh, I just I lost so many picks. I'm like I, I've right. been running out it's left and of, right. That was kind of all you know. So that's why I'm always like ah, the pick thing. Like it's a that's a trope too. I mean. One of my favorite movies is Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. And yeah. I've always been like, 
It's like, were they trying to reference that? Because like they kind of didn't do it right or In enough this, if they were. Oh, right. It is kind of the same sort of a pick where it like looks the same and it's like from a devil's horn uh, is where the, uh, yeah. the pick of destiny is from. Um it's funny. It doesn't really bother me in the pick, pick of destiny because that movie is just so ridiculous. But in this, I'm like, no, Marceline's supposed to like get it. Like she, you know what I mean? Um, so that was the only thing that really felt tonally. I think that's the th- that was the choice that made this feel okay, not as tonally resonant. I also didn't like when uh, Princess Bubblegum shot the like bean bag at um, Ice King to make him stop singing. <laughs> um, was kind of weird it was just like a weird thing for her to have done yeah season eight ice king is i don't really know what to do with this this character season yeah and yeah it's so, like he, he's kind of at the end of his arc but it's like he's still he's still weird yeah like he's not creepy anymore but it's like he really i think he gets like a lot of his like resolutions in seasons nine and ten mm-hmm. so like season eight like we've 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 gone past like the weird early season bullshit, but he's still like just short of like completing his arc. So it's like, he's in a weird spot. Yeah. It's like, like are all the other characters just like cool with him being head of security for this show? Like what? Oh, so like what's, what's going on? Like, I don't know. It feels like his relationship with everyone else is unclear. Yeah, totally. So here's the thing about, um, this the discovery here in the Miscellaneous is that the song uh-huh. Marceline sings is is a Mitski song, yeah, which so okay. is a very interesting choice that I never never would have saw coming. Was that they took a Mitski song and were like, "That's what Marceline is saying." Right, furthering the Scott Pilgrim parallel, where it, like one of the most memorable songs in that movie is just a fucking metric song. Which song is that? Uh, the one that Brie Larson sings. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I'd say this is an extremely cool choice, especially in 2016, because Mitski was like really quite like she was still in DIY territory, like DI- and like playing punk shows and stuff, and like p- playing at probably Palisades that year, which was like a, the go to one of the go to DIY venues in Brooklyn. And so it's kind of cool that they dug in someone that dug in that deep, and they made a really good call because like. Mitski now is like a giant just played Radio City Music Hall and is like the biggest like indie artist of the last couple of years and is like extremely relevant on TikTok and the demo of Adventure Time now. So very interesting call that paid off and was correct. I mean, still the song, I guess I should look at the 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 lyrics of the song. Um still didn't you know, very cool that they did this. And I, I think it's like super rad hip giving like a, a budding indie, uh, someone in, uh, in the punk rock world, like a, a nod and a sink essentially. Like I'm sure people found out about Mitski through this. Very cool. Is it still the right song for Marceline? I, I probably not, but, uh, pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, 2016, yeah, this is when this is when uh, "Bury Me at Makeout Creek" was out, which like I found her her because she was my friend used to manage Mitski, and they were she toured in 2016, I think, or was it 15? Um, opening for Joyce Manor. <laughs> um, so I, I think at this point maybe Steven Universe had 
just done the episode with uh, Mike Kroll. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Not really. I've kind of forgotten about uh, Mike Kroll. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, no, so 2016 is when Puberty 2 came out, which is when her... That was sort of her big uh, breakout. But the yeah, song so, is I mean, like, she must have had to... Like, they were producing this episode in 2015. Right. Cool. Um, and... Yeah, and Don Giovanni and Double Double Whammy. Like, those are some punk as fuck people. Don Giovanni especially. Um, I guess at this point, regular show, it had probably a lot of guest artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't know maybe, it, maybe yeah. like, so Adventure Time is not like being cutting edge at this point and getting an indie artist on the show. Um, like they, they, someone this indie though is like, to me is pretty rad. Like I don't, right. They, it connected in a big way, but I think that like, maybe there was like a thing happening where like, Hey, we should like be on the lookout and get an indie artist in on the show. Like, because other, the other cartoons on Cartoon Network were yeah. they were doing this right. and it was working. Um but I think like Mike Kroll like that dude wasn't he on like a he's on like a major label? Or maybe he wasn't. Oh he's on merge. Oh I guess that's cool too. Um yeah that's pretty cool. And yeah, uh, I guess and, then, a and thing then of course happening. they tapped Jeff Rosenstock to do Craig of the Creek right. shortly thereafter. So it's a thing. Yeah there was this mid twenty tens this was like yeah. It's, it seems like this kind of thing is still happening, which is cool. Yeah. Is it 19 in the movie? Um, but yeah, like, so we're talking about like the the big Marceline song of the episode isn't really a Marceline song. It's just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe they're like, we can't get Rebecca Sugar to write it. Um, yeah. she, she's so busy right now. So it's like, why don't we find a song that would be that that exists that's appropriate for Marceline? Um, and that's not the only cover <laughs> that's in this episode essentially uh yeah the song that the musical sings mm-hmm. was created by lake which is the group that does the outro song right uh yeah but i guess that's it was a pre-existing song yeah that's what it looks like i look up to you pre-existing as was the ice king song do the boogaloo uh so the susan strong song was original <laughs> power of myself Right? Uh, what's the story on this one? Okay, so they just bought a backing track off of some generic music oh, set wow. like thing. That's why it sounds so authentically karaoke, like I said. Or like, yeah, and I guess they just where did they made up their own vocals? But who who did that? Who who made the vocal part? But yeah, they just fucking bought a backing track. It's like very- of stock music. Very amazing because that, but that's, that, that's like a great decision because that's how in the show this would work. Like if, if Susan Strong was going to do this, like that makes sense, you know? Yeah, bro. Um, another piece of trivia. It's just the, See, I'm just getting more and more disappointed because like in the fucking big music episode, they didn't write any new music for this. No, <laughs> no. It, and giving it to younger, I don't know. It, it all, it, it, it feels like a lot of uh, time and circumstance and like a rush job a little bit. You know what? I think it could, po- it could possibly just be as simple as this. And this is what makes me enraged about living on this planet is that people don't really consider music to be like a special thing in the way that I do. 
<laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, music is just, the, you know, people listen to music. People like have jobs as musicians. It's like just a, another job you can have. Like listening to music is just a thing that you can do. And it's not like this big special artistic endeavor that I've built it up to be. Or <laughs> And it's just like, I, it's so um, mundane and generic is like, the big music episode like where music is a theme of what they're writing like they don't have to like necessarily concentrate on this big extra thing and make the music yeah this big production because it's just i don't know i i feel like they have they have i feel like the the folks involved in the show have that sort of reverence for music i think this feels like more like a they were trying to get this episode done they had the idea it's like okay you you guys go run with that figure out a way to make it happen and there were constraints and they it, that's it feels like a victim of circumstance I, I feel like they do have reverence for music and the the creators involved in this do and i think they might have reverence for music but then they're like maybe this is good enough to serve the completion of our episode and have it go and at the end of the day this is a tv show so yeah. so i guess this this episode really is though as close as adventure time gets doing like a true musical episode probably um like steven universe has one mr greg amazing amazing episode one of my favorites uh in the key of the creek for craig of the creek mm-hmm. really top notch um what are some other shows that have like actual musical episodes i don't know i'm trying to remember time um but this might be the most music-packed episode of Adventure Time. It's not a musical episode, truly, but this might be the most we get. I mean, when I Google it, that's what comes up. I know it's like I'm trying because there's so many music moments, but this is probably the most music-packed episode. What was missing comes close, and I think is such a better example of how Adventure Time can do music. Yeah, that was uh, season three, episode yeah. ten, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point too, they're still establishing and proving things. This feels like a later season. Fuck, like, wh- what is something that we could do? It's like, oh yeah, music I know. Episode. Yeah, it's, it, there's so much. It just feels like afterthoughts. It's like, man, if you're gonna go in deep on this thing that I fucking base my entire life off of, don't make it an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a very personal to you. It's true. Um, yep. I mean, I was going to say, this is the last episode in the series with death. Yeah. Before Miguel Ferrer passed away. Yeah. Um, although he doesn't voice anything in this. No. Yeah. has no lines. Um, I like the, the call out that it is true. Flame princess and Neptor did make an entire album, which I, that cinnamon bun is selling. I do like that detail and being like, this wasn't because that to my point, oh, they just, through this together this morning it's like no no this is an ongoing project and they have yeah. completed an album and put it on cds um and like have branding and t-shirts that yeah. effort is very uh fun to me yeah and cinnamon bun is the merch guy of this show yeah like <laughs> there there's no one else on adventure time that is more qualified to be the merch guy than cinnamon bun <laughs> uh-huh. it's it's great I, I i do appreciate all that stuff uh from the production standpoint, it seems like this episode was aired out of order. 
I don't know if it was ever fixed. Did uh, I forget what did it say was next to it on HBO Max? Oh, uh, Daddy Daughter Card Wars is supposed to be next. Next, so I think that's the wrong order. Oh, that's what it is in the wiki too. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess that's like how it officially came to be but like they that wasn't the production order and there's an inconsistency in that like the thing that makes Finn very sad from a few episodes earlier this is apparently writing immediately off of that where he's very depressed there's some episodes in between where he's not sad that like they were supposed to air afterwards uh, and they so it's it's weird that, that Finn, is weird yeah I don't know if I ever picked up on that on a sequential watch through, but yeah. All right. There's your miscellaneous. This episode's going pretty long. I know. Very long. Uh, let's, let's generate the next week's. What are we going to watch next week? What are we going to watch? So 220. Ah, oh, we just talked about this. It's a King's Ransom, which is. What did we just talk about that? For? Season seven, episode 21, King's Ransom. Um, Andreas Salaf, this is the other episode that Andreas storyboarded. Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. And it's right after Bad Jubies and Blank Eyed Girl, which we've done. King's Ransom. Mm-hmm. Season seven, episode 21. Yep. All right. Cool. Um, for next week. I do. Seriously, though, hit us with your music thoughts at did you see the mail at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I want to hear what songs in here you like. If you agree with what Eric and I have said, I, um, I'm genuinely curious too. like if y'all notice the uh, the snare drum, the ergonomics, the the music logic. Um, um, I've genuinely tried to let that go, but I Eric is getting me riled up again. Um <laughs> So hit it back. Um, and if you like the show, you can give us, please, five stars on your podcast app. You can give us uh, some money each month at advent, at anchor.fm slash Adventure Guys podcast. And as always, tell a friend or two about the pod if you like it. Uh, thank you. All right. Good it. Bye. Peace out, y'all.